0: Our topic today is indeed about the UN and its continued relevance. And of course, in some ways, the issue has been thrown into sharp relief by the ongoing Ukraine crisis. Uh, Speaking for myself in a purely personal capacity, I was not terribly happy that when those seven weeks were going by, when the Americans and the British were shouting from the rooftops that an invasion was imminent, that the United Nations didn't take any initiative at that point. To stop it. And of course, once the invasion began, and since a permanent member of the Security Council was involved, there was not much the Security Council could do either. One thing that people tend to forget sometimes is that the United Nations isn't uh, a single entity. It is an unusual institution in that it's both a stage and an actor. It's a stage on which the member states play their parts. And when they get together, the UN is little more than a platform for them to negotiate their agreements and their disagreements. When they agree, the UN is transformed into an actor, headed by the Secretary General, his agencies, the peacekeeping troops made available to him, and so on. And that's when the UN as actor can be judged for its success or otherwise. But the UN as stage reflects the world as it is, including the various differences amongst member states. And this is where we might take as our starting point some of the harsher criticism of the the United Nations, that it has perhaps been irrelevant in this ongoing crisis uh, at a time when the world was desperately in need of some body to bring about peace. And I'm going to invite each of the panelists, all of whom have had United Nations experience from one perspective or another, uh, two of whom have worked within it, as staff, one of whom has worked within it as an ambassador, um, and and one of whom, of course, is relating to it as a Minister of Foreign Affairs, and we will see what they each have to say. I'm going to start with Lakshmi Puri, right in the middle there. Uh, Lakshmi is a a former Indian diplomat, former uh, Assistant Secretary General of the UN. She's worked in the women and development fields, but she's seen the UN at close quarters for many decades. Lakshmi, your response to this. Thank you might you. all want to move the mic a little closer to you, I think, for some. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Sashi. And uh, as you rightly said, we need to, first of all, be clear about what the UN is, because the expectations from the UN can then be managed. Uh, so the first thing is that there have been a series of crises First, the COVID-19, the World War III-like devastation that it caused, the hammer blows from that. Then we have had the Afghanistan uh, crisis. And then on top of that, we have had now the Ukraine-Russia war. Is that the last crisis that will break the UN's back? That's the question. Let me begin by saying that... The U.N. is three U.Ns. It's the Secretariat and the Secretary- General, but it is most of all, the member states. And the members and, and the U.N. is also about we, the people. So there are these three components that must work closely together for an effective U.N. But more, if you look at the other aspect, more importantly, The UN is just a little more than the sum of the power dynamics of the most influential member states. So how they act or not is going to determine the effectiveness of the UN. And what is the UN's role? The UN and the whole system, along with the BWIs, is meant to be a global governance and rules of the game uh, universe which is which is focused on the four big projects of humanity that is human rights humanitarian response sustainable development and peace and security but as the un secretary general pointed out at uh, Uh, UN at at 75, there are three or two challenges and one achievement which we now seem to have lost as well. So the first challenge is, and he pointed this out, and I think it's relevant for the Russia-Ukraine war, that the world has too many multilateral challenges and too few multilateral solutions, which means It's not amenable to multilateral, which is, you know, a cumbersome process and interaction. They're not amenable to multilateral solutions. Second, that the UN lacks ambition, scale, and teeth. And where those institutions, like the UN Security Council, has teeth, it doesn't have the appetite to bite. And that bite comes from two things. Political volition, political will of the key member states, in this case the UN Security Council P5 in particular, and the uh, unity of purpose that they demonstrate. So when you don't have this, then the UN will be immobilized, as has been the case in terms of the UN Security Council. But my case is that in the Russia-Ukraine, instance, yes, the UN Security Council did not adopt the resolution uh, which was for action in this, uh, in this crisis. But short of that, it has been meeting frequently and trying to address three things, political, uh, the humanitarian, and the, uh, the weapons of mass destruction related issues, because those are very important conversations that must happen irrespective of what's happening on the ground. Then the UN General Assembly has adopted three resolutions, one of them uh, suspending um, Russia from the Human Rights Council. And a series, then the ICJ has given a decision uh, against Russia. The ICC is undertaking investigations. Then the IAEA has passed a number of resolutions on nuclear safety and security, and so on. So the whole UN ecosystem has come together to, in a way, uh, weigh in on this crisis and support the pivotal role of the UN to provide humanitarian assistance, but also to act as a break on some of the uh, concerns that are our, uh, our humanity's concerns with regard to this. Thank and you. One, one last point I would like to make is that UN Secretary General's role, and uh, I think uh, you r- rightly referred to the concern of the former uh, UN officials like you and me and others who have written that, we re- that the UN risks um, not only irrelevance but extinction. It's an existential crisis that the UN faces right now if the UN Secretary General does not become. He came on a mantra of prevention, but he was, he was I think, taken aback. He has publicly admitted that he did not expect uh, Russia to go to war. So that being the case, and then he has been making very strong statements condemning So the Russians have found him to be partisan. So there is a whole UN ecosystem which has come together against Russia. So to what extent it can be the peacemaker? But it's uh, very heartening to know that (laughs) UNSG is right now in in Moscow. Moscow.
0: He's just had lunch with the foreign minister and is going to meet President Putin. But... You're right. He He has a tough task ahead of him. I'll turn to Daniel Carmon. Daniel is is somebody who's been at the United Nations in various hats um, as a a Deputy permanent representative, as an ambassador to the UN, and I think as a Director General for the UN at headquarters when he came visiting from Tel Aviv. He's also been an ambassador to India and as an old friend. Uh, Danny, what is your take on this very question?
2: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, And it's a pleasure to be here discussing an issue that has been transcending throughout uh, the last uh, uh, day or two, uh, many referring to a disappointment from the UN and from the multilateral world. Uh, this was very evident in uh, what we heard in previous um, uh, sessions. I think that the automatic and just response to the question, is the UN less and less relevant, The UN less and less relevant, is the the automatic question is, of course. That's the short one. Hmm. The longest one must take into consideration and understanding, and Lakshmi explained, gave a background of what the UN is all about. The UN is not one, and like you said, it's not one entity with one message. Uh, There are at least two big players uh, or sets of players which should be taken into consideration which is the secretariat uh, and the membership and the same membership which reflects its agreements or non-agreements in the orders or the mandates or the resolutions that are passed into the secretariat. You cannot have an organization with only one or with, with, with the implementers and the practitioners and the Let's say, the board of directors or the shareholders, which are the mem- member states. I think that during the years uh, during the years that have passed since the uh, inauguration of the United Nations, the regulations have made uh, uh, the member states uh, very influential, and this is how it should have been done, I guess very influential in, in, in uh, setting the stage for the secretariat to be more limited in what it can do. Uh, the secretariat is comprised of very professional people. I would say that it would be better, if I can suggest, it would be better for the secretariat, for the, people, the professional people at the secretariat to suggest to the uh, board of directors or the shareholders what should be done in particular um, instances and not be limited by what the mandates of the member states set. Uh, I think it's a very important and sensitive point. Uh, What we have to remember is what the UN and its resolutions and its mandates is a reflection of the membership the same membership that came, if I can be naive for a second, or try to show a naivete for a second, uh, the member states or the world, when it was set in a visionary way, came to one place to do better for the whole world. And when you come to the United Nations, it takes an hour or two to understand that each one of the member states holds his, his flag very hard, strongly, uh, uh, setting uh, its policy according to its national interests, and that's, this is how it should be. But the result of what is happening at the United Nations is not necessarily doing good for the well-being of the, the whole, whole world. It's disappointing, For the visionaries, it is disappointing. For the founding fathers of the United Nations, it is disappointing. For those who know what the United Nations is all about, both actors and stage, uh, it is is disappointing, but you have to understand how it came about. Having on the Ukraine uh, uh, crisis, having Russia chair the Security Council meeting, uh, which in any conflict, any, any any war that is happening, there is after a few hours a meeting of the Security Council and for a call for a cessation of hostilities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, we know it, we've been there many times at the right. Security Council. Uh, uh, having the participant, the aggressor, chair the meeting is more than ridiculous. Uh, but this is how the United Nations regulation is. Uh, uh, having resolutions that call in, in, in setting resolutions there is a, a need for a consensus. The consensus by definition brings the resolutions to be to be weaker than the initial idea of setting uh, uh, a mandate and a resolution so what what i 'm trying to say is the United Nations is Comprise of many kinds of, I would say, tensions between developed and developing, between uh, secretariat and membership, uh, between those who fund the budget of the United Nations, yep. which are 8% of the countries, and those who make the decisions, which are around 80%. Of uh, the member states in the General uh, Assembly, in the General Assembly, yeah. who, ma- who make the, the the resolution, there are sets of tensions that have to be understood before we come and analyze and uh, judge the activity or the non-activity of the United Nations. Okay, well,
0: that's a right segue into our next speaker. Ararat Mirzoyan is the Foreign Minister of Armenia, and as a the one person here who currently represents a member state at the UN, uh, how would you? react to this question about the UN's relevance. Uh,
3: Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, I'm very glad to take part in this conversation today at Raisina Dialogue and uh, exchange thoughts and uh, views about the um, possible crisis of multilateralism, uh, its its strengths also, but also the challenges it faces. I should state that uh, my country, Armenia, Uh, has been a strong believer uh, and and, and an active uh, uh, supporter of multilateralism since since regaining its independence in 1991. And a believer and a supporter in multilateralism, in international organizations, in the role that they play uh, uh, in sustainable development, in preventing and overcoming crisis and so on. Um, And coming to the main topic of today's conversation, to the possible crisis of multilateralism, I should say that, um, firstly, probably we should uh, um, define uh, what we mean by saying multilateralism and the crisis of multilateralism. Um, Are the regional organizations... political, military blocs uh, part of this crisis, or we are speaking about re- this is uh, uh, limited only to the organizations with universal representations, uh, mm-hmm. and, and in particular uh, about the United Nations. Uh, so uh, uh, I should uh, also suggest to recall the history of creation of United Nations. The United Nations organisation. The United Nations is a a child of war. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was born on the ashes of the Second World War, and uh, and, uh, uh, with the promise to prevent um, the horrors of that war ever being repeated. Uh, um, And we should, I think, remember that we are not speaking only about an institution which operates uh, across the globe, but uh, it To me, at least, it's first of all the uh, commitment of humankind uh, to prevent future catastrophes, uh, uh, calamities, wars, horrors. Unfortunately, I should of course say that uh, during the uh, seven decades of the existence of the United Nations, including the Security Council, we have been witnessing wars, calamities, catastrophes. So uh, is this enough to assume that uh, um, the united nations has overlived its purpose uh, i think no i think no uh, and and uh, uh, nowadays when the world challenges uh, huge um, uh, faces huge challenges starting from uh, covid-19 pandemic and global um, uh, climate change to new military clashes We should uh, remain, we we should keep the uh, system of uh, multilateral uh, diplomacy, uh, but also at the same time, uh, I think that we should understand that uh, the organization, the system should not keep working in a business-as-usual mode. Mm -hmm. We should also understand that the system uh, needs reforms and and, uh, and we should also... uh, as a humanity, as a mankind, united, we should rethink and probably suggest new, uh, new, new ways of acting, of operating the system.
0: Can you suggest a way?
3: An example. <laughs> it's, I think, uh, 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 just a bit... More uh, uh, level of responsibility that I would like, I, I would prefer to take on Marshall. But probably we can uh, uh, discuss and find one together. To okay,
0: explain. well, I'll come back to the, the panel on that. Thank you, uh, Mr. Minister. Jane, uh, Jane Holder is somebody who's seen the UN both from the inside and from the outside. She's been an Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations. We worked together many years ago. And she's also been a senior official of the U.S. Department. Of defense, is that right? Homeland yeah. security. Homeland, Homeland security. security, well, uh, keeping, keeping the U.S. safe from terrorism. So she knows peace and security issues. You must have watched what's going on in the war with more than uh, amateur interest. Tell us, Jane, how do you see the U.N.'s role so far and what should it be doing?
4: Uh, thanks, Shashid. I should say I'm speaking in only a personal capacity here. And I, am, I am an unapologetic advocate for the United Nations, um, and, I, and I don't apologize for that. In fact, I feel strongly about it. If we didn't have it, we would have to invent it. The UN is, is irrelevant compared to what? I mean, let's talk about the world in 1945 when the UN was founded. Fifty countries originally, and then Poland, 51 countries are founding members of the United Nations. There are over 190, 193 members today. The world's population is nearly triple what it was in those days. And the world's population is healthier, wealthier, more mobile, more educated, and deminiaturized to a greater extent than ever before. The advent of technology and the proliferation of the internet has allowed us all to deminiaturize ourselves in spite of whatever box our societies or our governments would like to put us in. And we're reveling in that deminiaturization. Um, but all governments are, are really having a struggle with this. I mean, my colleagues have talked rightly, in my view, about how the United Nations is a member state organization. And let's talk about the role of government in our lives. I mean, personally, I don't know anybody who interacts with government unless they have to. Okay, and the UN has to. But the government, government has lost the corner on the market on the three areas that really used to define their competence the control of lethality, the control of capital, and the control of rulemaking. Now, we can be honest and say that governments have never, ever been really very good at reaching either the very rich or the very poor. It's almost has been beyond their grasp. But we, for much of the world's history, we lived in a world where people sought the protection of their sovereigns from marauding outsiders. And lately, it seems, that people need the protection of outsiders from marauding
5: sovereigns.
4: (laughs) Now, the UN is essential for all the reasons both, both my colleagues and all my colleagues have said before. But let's think about a global forum where we can come together on a basis of shared principles. Every treaty organization, whether it's the Organization of American States, the Organization of African Union, the European Union, or NATO, Article 1 from every treaty that founded those organizations proceeds from the charter of the United Nations and the principles that are embodied therein. So is this organization irrelevant? Not at all, in my view. Not at all.
0: Gosh, Jane, that's yeah. a wonderfully robust yeah. defense of the United Nations. Yeah. Many, many <laughs> thanks. And um, we'll turn to our final panelists. And I want to come back to each of you for a minute. but. Uh, meanwhile, those who wish to ask questions can already begin to think about Our final panelist is Charles Kupchan, who, unlike the other four, hasn't ever worked for the UN, as far as I remember, but has uh, been a very distinguished public commentator on global geopolitics and, therefore, on the UN's role in it. And Charles, I'd welcome your comments on the larger question and on what you've heard.
5: Thank you, Shashi. Pleasure to uh, join my colleagues on this panel. You could
0: push uh, the mic a little closer to you? Yes.
5: Yeah, uh, I share Jane's appreciation of the value of the United Nations, but I'm going to offer a, a somewhat different take on where we are today. Uh, and I want to make a, one core argument, and that is that we're headed into a period of history in which the demand for global governance and the supply of global governance will be as wide Mm -hmm. as at any point in history and figuring out how to fill that gap is something that all of us who care about the world need to to uh, take on and i come to that conclusion through the following set of observations one and this i think the ukraine war kind of brings these points home we are moving into a, an era in which there will be new geopolitical division mm-hmm. in a world in which power is much more widely distributed than it's been really since the 18th century uh, and that's because ever since the end of the Napoleonic Wars we've seen power swing to the north and to the west and Europe and or North America have sort of been dominating power centers, even during the Cold War. But we're now headed to a world probably in which there will be two big blocks, a liberal international order on one side, an autocratic capitalist order on the other side. That other order will be anchored by China. China will soon have the world's largest economy. So we will be in a world in which there are two full service blocks that don't take the same basic approach to either domestic or international governance. Number two, as we are seeing in this war, there are a lot of countries that aren't going to take sides. Jane and I were talking just before we came into the room, there are only 41 countries in the world that have joined the sanctions regime. That means most countries in the world, including India, including Israel, including most of Africa, including most of South America, Southeast Asia, are sitting on the fence. They're not going to say, we're going with the liberal international order, we're not going to go with the autocratic capitalist order, we're going to take it day by day. right? So that means we're headed into a world in which power is not only more diffused into two big blocks, but it's effectively multipolar, because a lot of countries aren't going to say, I'm with that block or I'm with that block. Third observation, even though I'm bullish about the strength and durability of the liberal international order, it ain't what it used to be. We had a panel earlier today about populism and the liberalism. This is here to stay, right? We're looking at a, a kind of more polarized, more difficult, more dysfunctional liberal democratic West than we are used to. And the United States, which has been the main driver of liberal multilateralism since World War II is going to have trouble playing that role when it's almost impossible for the foreseeable future to get any significant treaty ratified by the US Senate. Absolutely. And that's simply because the political landscape has changed. right? If the five of us or the six of us drove down to Capitol Hill next week and presented the World War II settlement to Congress, NATO, UN, World Bank, IMF, the Bretton Woods system, they'd laugh us out of the place, right? And that's because the the country has changed. And so there isn't the same readiness politically to get out there and build multilateral institutions as there used to be. So for all those three reasons, I think that uh, we're going to live in a world that is less conducive to the provision of public goods than the one we're, we're leaving behind. Two, the demand for those public goods is greater than ever. And that's simply because we are irretrievably, inescapably interdependent. Even if we start to decouple, as a consequence of the war in Ukraine, Mm. climate change, nuclear proliferation, global health and pandemics, you name it, we can't solve it if we don't come together and act as a team. That's going to be more and more difficult, and that brings me to my conclusion. The UN is perfect... I agree with Jane, if it didn't exist, we'd have to create it, but you can't fix it. And that's because people join it because they're comfortable with it, because it has a veto. All the things that prevent it from addressing these big global governance problems are the reason that it works, that people continue to adhere to it. And so we can reform it here and there, but we're not going to be able to reform it in a way that fundamentally addresses the underlying sources of the problem. And that's why I think we need to look for the UN plus. We need to look for other modalities, other kinds of institutional innovations that will help us fill this gap. My personal preference is to start building what I would call concerts, small groups of countries that come together to tackle global problems that cuts across ideological dividing lines, because we are going to have to talk to Russia, whether Putin is a war criminal or not. We are going to have to talk to the Chinese, whether they support the the Russians, because that's the world that we live in. And that's going to take small group, countries coming together, in some cases putting not just the liberal (coughs) powers and and, and liberal powers at the table. What about CEOs? What about NGOs? What about civil society, right? They have to be at the table. So I just think we're going to have to think more creatively about how to put together packages of countries that need to be there discussing to tackle global problems.
4: Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.